You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, Executive Director of the companion nonprofit organizations, the Citizens Alliance for Responsible Energy, and Energy Makes America Great. Each week, I have the opportunity to educate the public on energy issues. And certainly in this election season, energy issues have a, take, taken on a really important role. And I love politics. I love following what's going on. And this week, my column is titled, The Few, The Loud, The Anti-Fossil Fuel Crowd. And I, I tied together several stories. As I was working to write this week's column, and you know when you write a column every single week on energy issues, which I've been doing since 2011, uh, sometimes you have a lot of ideas and sometimes you're grasping at straws. This week I had several ideas, as I usually do. I printed out some research, sat down to read it with my highlighter in hand, and read through what I had printed out and kind of went, when I was done, nope, that doesn't do it for me. That's not going to work. And so on Friday I had to go kind of back to the drawing board. I went to my inbox because I'd remembered receiving something from a group called Protect Colorado, an email that was sent to me from Karen Crummy, and in it she said, and it's a short email, and she says, yesterday an anti-fracking group delivered petition signatures to the Colorado Secretary of State's office to get their anti-energy measures on the November ballot. In a big display, they carried numerous boxes out of a U-Haul truck. Now, as the Colorado Secretary of State's office begins the validation process, it turns out many of these boxes contain very few petitions. Was it all a publicity stunt to advance their agenda or a serious attempt to ban fracking in Colorado? Your guess is as good as ours. So to start us off today, because this was the email that that launched where I went with this week's column, I'm delighted to have Karen Crummy with us from Protect Colorado for the first time on America's Voice for Energy. Karen, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. No, thank you. What tell us about your involvement with this group to start with? Because uh, I'm delighted to have a female that I get to talk to. There are so few of us in this industry. It's a pretty male-dominated industry, and all my other guests on this week's show are are guys. So, how did you get involved in this? Um, so, I I do communications for Protect Colorado, which is an issue committee in Colorado um, that was formed specifically to oppose anti-energy ballot measures. Uh, we had this issue two years ago where groups tried to get some measures on the November ballot and they were rescinded at the last moment, but their, the intent of these measures was and has always been to ban fracking. So... Um, you know, I, I basically am kind of on the front lines of the fight to get the word out to people on what fracking is, what the, how these measures as proposed would destroy the economy in Colorado, um, and how they would really take away people's private property rights. There's about 600,000 mineral rights owners in Colorado, and these anti-energy uh, measures would essentially strip away all of those property rights. 
Now, you know, when I think about that, we know that, for example, Bernie Sanders uh, was opposed, is opposed to fracking and wanted to uh, ban fracking on all federal lands. That was part of his platform. He sponsored the Keep It in the Ground bill in the Senate. And, uh, you know, he's, he's basically, well, I, not basically, he just is a socialist. And socialists, socialism in general doesn't care about private property rights. Have you found that to be an effective message with the public? Uh, yeah, I would say, uh, hands down, it's probably the most effective message, especially in a state like Colorado. Um, you know, very, very serious libertarian bent in this state. Uh, and kind of that Western pioneer spirit, so to speak. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, a lot of these mineral rights owners are farmers, you know, or ranchers, and the way they make ends meet in bad times is because they have mineral rights. They're not making a fortune off uh, the minerals under their property, but it's enough to keep them afloat. And to think that these measures would take all of that away from them um, with, you know, just one day you have rights and the next day you don't is really almost incomprehensible. Well, it's incomprehensible to you and me, but I don't think that the uh, anti-fossil fuel crowd cares about that. No, and I think that's, you know, I think a lot of what's been going on in Colorado this year is that this isn't a mainstream environmental movement we're talking about here. This is the most fringe the most fringe part of the environmentalists, they, they, they really don't seem to care, you know, who these measures would hurt, what they would do to the economy, how many jobs would be lost. And I, I don't think most mainstream environmental groups feel that way, but I also think that in Colorado, you know, the majority of Coloradans support responsible oil and gas development. And so they know we need it. They just want it done right and with regulations, and the oil and gas industry supports that. Yeah, certainly uh, the, the oil and gas industry doesn't, is not as, as those extremes would want you to believe that they're, they're raping the earth or whatever, and there are. It's very, very heavily regulated industry, which most people uh, don't realize. Uh, before we move on, I want to ask one more thing on that, because you mentioned that this is an environmental fringe. Do you think that the fact that they're perhaps so fringe has alienated uh, the average voter in Colorado? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I think that a lot of these messages where, you know, they come out and they say things about, you know, we need to get rid of this whole industry, we need to ban fracking, we don't need this in the state. I, I mean, most... Regular Coloradans understand that oil and gas is a necessary part of our everyday life. I mean, who, who doesn't want the heat turned on? Who doesn't want to get in their car? And so I think in some ways when they see these activists flying in on planes from other states into Colorado, yeah. um, kind of little, you know, little bell goes off in their head going, wait a minute, so you can fly in, but you don't want oil and gas. So I do. I think I think that the average citizen really does see it for what it is. So tell me now, then moving moving forward uh, about these empty boxes and the theatrics of the environmentalists. Why did they have to resort to that? You know, I don't know. I mean, there's a couple things going on here. One is, were they this disorganized, or was this on purpose and or like a publicity stunt? And to be honest. I am not sure because I think they've shown leanings towards both. 
Uh, uh-huh. I, I know that they didn't get the signatures there until 20 minutes before they were due. And when they showed up, they had, you know, people holding boxes in one hand running up the escalator. So already when that was happening, everybody was kind of looking at them going, how do you carry a box full of petitions with one hand up the escalator? You know, they weren't, there was nothing in them. And then the Secretary of State's office came out and said, took a picture of the boxes the next day and said, hey, a lot of these boxes were empty. So it, it was kind of, you know, they've been saying they have the signatures, they were saying they had enough, that they were going to make the ballot. They even went so far as to thank their supporters the next day. And then we find out that, you know, the chances of making the ballot right now aren't looking that good because so many boxes were empty. Yeah, certainly that's what the research that I found on it looks like. It's not only not not looking good, uh, but it's it's uh, the term doomed was used. <laughs> and uh, my my personal friend John Fun told me that he talked to the current Secretary of State, and he reported back to me that that the whole thing is toast was the word that uh, that he used with me. So I, I think there was some some theatrics there, but I think when you string things together. Um, as I tried to do in my column this week, you know, I'm sure you followed the break-free 2016 activities there in Colorado, and the the crowds just were not there for their big um, thing with Bill McKibben, and uh, even the news report said that at the end of the day there were 30 to 40 people left for their big um, frack site invasion, and so uh, I, I, I'm... I see in looking at it from the outside that the support is just not there for their issues that they want. Is that how you see it? Yeah, and I think it goes back to what we were just talking about earlier. I think it's that their positions right now, these groups, are so extreme that, you know, most Coloradans look at it and say, okay, you know, you guys have kind of gone off the deep end. You know, we've had all of these rulemaking processes processes. We've had um, Colorado's, you know, probably the most heavily regulated state in the country when it comes to oil and gas regulations. And we're starting to see now that what your real intent is to just ban fracking because you don't believe in fossil fuels. And I think most Coloradans are saying, well, we do. I mean, how, how would we function in our everyday life without it? And you think, do you think the average voter really understands that now? I do, and I think one of the reasons why is because about two and a half years ago, the oil and gas industry was facing um, ballot measures uh, of the same type that we have this year, and they were realizing that they could fight ballot measures every year or they could start talking directly to the public. And so they Mm -hmm. set about making an education effort. So they reach out to all of, you know, voters, citizens of the state, and explain to them what fracking is, how it works. You know, um, you know, you, you take a message like, hey, listen, this is really great for the economy, but until you can assure people, especially parents, that it's, it's safe, you can't even get to the economic argument. So we really focused in on giving people the facts, and we've found over and over again that once they understand the process, um, they feel much more comfortable about it. They just want to know it's regulated and being done the right way. And and they have, from the other side, not been or led to believe that it's not regulated? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the big things I always say is that uh, it's so easy and cheap to scare people to death, but it's time-consuming and expensive to educate people. And 
these extreme groups on the other side really just come out and say horrible things like, you know, listen, if you don't ban fracking, you know, your children are going to die from, you know, the water being polluted, which is just, there's, there's just no truth in any of that. So right. obviously people get concerned, um, which, of course, I would too, and that's why it's so important that we present them with the other side because, you know, you, if you don't fill the vacuum, you know, they're only going to hear one side of everything. We've just got a little less than a minute left. What's been your most effective message or technique in getting uh, this message out there? Um, I think really the most important one has been about private property rights, how in Colorado we have a split estate, and so people have surface rights and mineral rights. And, um, you know, and when we, we tell them that this is in jeopardy, as well as the fact that 90% of all new drilling in the state would be banned under these measures, people are pretty horrified. I mean, I think they realize right away what that would mean economically to the state, which is that it would destroy it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's going to be interesting to see uh, whether or not it, the, the vote, when the, uh, the Secretary of State counts the, the petitions, if the votes are there. be interesting to see where, where all this uh, comes out. Yes. Hopefully we'll know soon. <laughs> <laughs> we will know soon, and I appreciate your efforts. Uh, we've been talking with Karen Crummy with Protect Colorado, and I uh, appreciate your time with us, Karen, today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. All right, and we'll be right back on America's Voice for Energy. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. In this segment, we're going to be talking with Tim Wigley, who is the president of the Western Energy Alliance. And they have been very, very active in this campaign or in this effort to educate the public really on the role that the oil and gas industry plays in their lives and in Colorado specifically. And so I'm delighted to have uh, Tim with us for this segment to share his insights. So uh, thanks for joining me today, Tim. Thanks for having me. It's great. Well, this is a big issue uh, for Colorado, and you all have been involved in this uh, for quite some time. Why don't you give us a little bit of background on, on your organization's involvement uh, with, with these ballot initiatives, and uh, then we'll, we'll kind of move to, you know, what have you done to get the public aware? Specifically, a little bit of history. Back in uh, 2012, the city of Longmont, Colorado, just north northwest of, of Denver, 
passed a ballot measure that would ban fracking in the city limits of Longmont, and no one really thought it would even make the ballot, much less pass. Then you move forward to 2013, four different communities in, in the same area of Colorado passed uh, moratoriums, not bans, but moratoriums on fracking. And so the industry found itself basically in November of 2013 having just lost five consecutive local ballot measures. And I'm sure the environmental community, the, the groups that were promoting these measures, felt a high level of confidence at that time. So then they started talking about a statewide ballot measure on fracking in uh, 2014, and they were in the process of gathering signatures uh, in non-presidential years. It only takes about 90,000 signatures to get it on a ballot, and literally on the day they were turning in uh, signatures for their two ballot measures in, in the summer, August of 2014, a deal was cut at the last minute. It really boiled down to be political. We had a governor that was in a tough re-election and an incumbent senator in a tough re-election, so the ballot measures went away effectively on August 1st of 2014, but immediately soon after that, they started talking about bringing one in 2016, and so where we sit today is uh, there are two ballot measures. Signatures have been turned in. It requires about 100,000 signatures to get it on the ballot in presidential years, and the Secretary of State is in the process of counting those to see if they have uh, valid signatures, and we'll know sometime in the next week or 10 days as to whether we'll be facing measures 75 and 78 here in Colorado. So, you know, it's my understanding, and I would like to know if this is what you found as well, is that these out-of-town uh, environmental groups, and I prefer to think of them as the anti-fossil fuel crowd because, I like to think that, you know, I care for the environment, so I don't like to give them that benefit of the doubt. But it's my understanding that these anti-fossil fuel groups came in from out of state and specifically, in some cases at least, worked with uh, communities that don't have any oil development and are not likely to have any oil development because they were easier um, to get these, these measures passed in particularly uh, some college towns. Yeah, the groups are Food and Water Watch has kind of been the leader, uh, Sierra Club, Natural Resource Defense Council. Uh, you've also had groups like uh, Keep It in the Ground, which is 350.org. Uh, you're right, Marita. They they came in, saw uh, easy targets. Uh, the enviros of today are a lot more politically uh, skilled than they were 20 years ago when I was doing timber in the Pacific Northwest. They have very strong political operatives. They know what they're doing, and they understand the concept of you eat an elephant one bite at a time. And th they've had a plan for a number of years. If they could pass something in Colorado, statewide. They would take it to New Mexico, take it to Montana. They've always had Texas, you know, in their scopes. When I, when I first said that two or three years ago, people said, you're insane. You could never pass an anti-fracking uh, measure in Texas. Well, they passed one in Denton, Texas, a couple of years ago. Right, so, right. So, so they've been aggressively uh, pursuing it. They are out of state. They are well-funded. And, and they have gotten much more active and much more vocal. We have some of the scariest numbers. I'm a numbers guy. And one of the scariest numbers about the state of Colorado is the fact that we lead the nation in the most new residents who have been here less than five years. When you think about that, these are folks who are coming in from California and elsewhere, and they think that, you know, two of our fours come from Home Depot and gas comes from the Shell Station <laughs> and milk from 
Safeway and so forth. They don't have any connection with the land. So one of our big challenges was to get out there and find out what they know and equally important what they don't know. And that's how we built uh, this campaign called Coloradans for Responsible Energy Development about three and a half years ago to start trying to change the mindsets of people. Well, what I've learned in all the natural resource groups I've worked in over the years is the more they know what you do, how you do it, how you're regulated, and most importantly, how you're compliant, then the understanding level goes up, the tolerance level goes up, and you ultimately get that social license to operate, which which we feel strongly about. But it, it's been a challenge, and it's been expensive, and but there's a lot of work that's been put into it. And ultimately, when we do face this on an election day, whether it's this cycle or next cycle, we'll be ready. So you say this cycle or next cycle. So you believe that if the uh, Colorado Secretary of State comes back with there are not enough valid signatures, which it, it certainly appears like that's going to be the decision. You don't think this issue is going away? I don't think so. And, Rudy, you've been in these natural resource you know, battles for many years, as I have. You know yes. it's, it's not about solving the problem. It's about raising money. And this gives them an opportunity to continue to, to bring in tons of money from out of state and George Soros money and Tom Steyer money and all that. And it's such a great fundraising tool for them. And we've seen that over the years on a host of issues, whether it be species listings or whatever. They like the issue more than they like the solution. Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, kind of never-ending, it seems like. It's, it's Sometimes it feels like you just want to roll over and play dead. Well, in my former years, you know, it was about clear-cutting when I was working for the timber industry. And, and you know, it, it, you, before that, I was working for public land grazers, and it was about grazing, you know, cattle on public lands. And, and of course, they've, they've pretty much successfully shut down coal production in this country or well on their way to doing it. So it, it was a natural fit for oil and gas development to be next on their list. And, again, it has always been about fundraising, and it always will be about fundraising. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned oil and gas being next because I remember uh, very, very clearly the day that I learned that Aubrey McClendon, former CEO of uh, Chesapeake, had donated, what was it, $28 million to the Sierra Club for their Beyond Coal campaign. I remember loudly yelling at the television and saying, you fool, because you are next. And it literally, uh, I went back and counted when it was, and I don't remember exactly because I didn't plan to discuss this, but... It was just a matter of a couple months, maybe three months, after that that news came out that McClendon had given money to the Sierra Club, that Sierra Club announced their Beyond Natural Gas campaign. That's correct. I have, in my four and a half years here at the Western Energy Alliance, I have taken great pains to to try to heal those wounds from the coal industry. I've met with their boards and spoken at their annual meetings and so forth, and I firmly believe, because of my grassroots background, that that all natural resource industries must hang together. They, you've got to have a sink or swim together. Amen. And I, I try to live by that. So I work closely with coal and agriculture and cattlemen and sportsmen. It's very, very important to me. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I frequently write on issues of the ranchers, the grazers, uh, you know, those those folks, and the timber industry. And um, for that for that very reason, we've all got the same enemy, and um, we need to fight. We need to hang together. I couldn't agree more. You know, we've just got a few minutes left. 
uh, Tim, what would you say when you're in dealing with the public there in Colorado, what was maybe the biggest lesson you learned? Maybe what was the what did you discover was the public's biggest misconception about energy, or what you know what did what what did, what have you had to fight? I've been here almost uh, coming up in five years, and the, and one of the, uh, I talked about numbers. Ninety percent of the voters in Colorado had seen, read, or heard something about fracking. They didn't know anything about it, but 90% awareness of any issue is incredibly high. And the only thing that might be higher than that now, obviously, is the presidential election. But, you know, people generally don't tune in uh, because everybody's too busy. And so we had to figure out, you know, what's the message, who best to deliver it, how to deliver it, and so forth. Life's different. I grew up in Oklahoma City where you had three TV stations and a PBS station, Back then, in the, in the 80s, in the 80s, the average person got about 3,000 impressions a day. Now it's 30 to 40,000 a day. So if you think people are getting their news on the 6 or 10 p.m. newscast, you're wrong. They're getting their news from all different sources. So we've really had to retool how these really smart, linear-thinking engineers and geologists that I'm proud to work for, teaching them how we talk to people today and where they get their news and who do they believe, who's credible, who's not. So it's been a big undertaking, but we've got great success. The numbers, the numbers prove it, and we've got to keep doing it. So did, did, did you find that, you, well, you did say that people didn't know anything about fracking, but they were aware of it. So how have you been able to convey to the public that, um, you know, fracking is not the evil that the anti-fossil fuel crowd presents. Those 90% of people who had seen, read, or heard something about it, what they had seen, read, or heard at the time was two to one negative to positive. So we had to change that quickly. One of the things is digital communications, knowing where people get their news from. When we started this campaign, we were behind 50 to one on digital communications. Now that's flipped and turned because we know where women in particular, women that are 30 to 55, decide every election in this country. And so we focused a lot of effort to make sure they understand that fracking does not harm you know, drinking water, that fracking has, has been good for the industry, good for their schools, you know, good for roads and community services and so forth. Uh, women are the ones who pay the bills, who sign the checks. So they were a primary target of us, and we have uh, steadfastly uh, kept after and focused on trying to educate them and giving them a much higher comfort level as to what we do and how we do it. But, you know, specifically, and we're now down to about a minute, what what message have, has worked with them? One of the things they had never heard was the fracking's been around for over 60 years. That's a message they'd never heard. One of the things they they had never heard is the amount of regulation, particularly in Colorado, which has the most stringent rules in the country. When they heard that and reinforced it and saw the proof behind it that it is regulated and it is enforced, then their comfort level increased greatly. Mm, good. Well, that's good. Good to hear. Good to hear what you've been doing on it. Now, last, last thing, when we just have 30 seconds or so, but what impact is this going to have on the overall election in Colorado? You know, it, it, it could be a turnout mechanism. It, it really depends. If, if it makes the ballot, I'm assuming that Hillary Clinton probably likes it because it brings out environmental voters. But at the same time, it also brings out Republican voters, and Colorado is a third, a third, a third party registration, so it could have a big impact. 
It's going to be interesting to follow. Uh, I appreciate Tim Wigley. I appreciate you joining us from the uh, Western Energy Alliance to talk to us about uh, these initiatives in Colorado and um, their impact on the rest of the country. Thanks for having me, Marita. I appreciate it very much. Well, thank you much, and we'll be right back on America's Voice for Energy. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. We're having an interesting discussion today talking about some ballot initiatives in the state of Colorado and how those initiatives could have really national implications uh, for energy production in America. So in this segment of our show, we're going to talk with Dan Haley, who is the president and CEO of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. And he's going to explain to us exactly what these initiatives are and what they, should they make it on the ballot and should they pass, what they would do in the state of Colorado. So, Dan, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us here on America's Voice for Energy. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. You know, we've talked in the previous two segments with Karen Crummy and Tim Wigley, who I'm sure you know both of them, and we've talked about the campaign in particular and how this has the potential to impact uh, Colorado, but we haven't really talked about what Initiative 75 and Initiative 78 what they are. And in my column that I wrote on this this week, I, I didn't really go there either. Uh, I have a limited word count. And one of the things I love about this this program is it allows me to, to go a little deeper into the topic when I don't have those limited word count restrictions. So can you sure. explain to us what these ballot initiatives are about? Sure. Let's start with the idea that in Colorado, the oil and gas industry is regulated by the state. And we think that works for lots of different reasons, uh, but one of which is that oil and gas does not respect municipal or county boundaries. It is where it is, and it's been there for a long, long time. So Initiative 75 would transfer the authority from the state to uh, local governments. So local governments would then be able to regulate oil and natural gas development, including banning it which Colorado Supreme Court just said last May that local governments do not have that right 
to ban oil and gas that the state has the authority to regulate the industry. So while activists yeah, and I think this, it's five. I think it's five other states that have had had a court or legislative action affirming that view. Correct. So while activists paint this as a local control measure, it's hardly local control because local governments could only enact laws that go further than the state's already rigorous rules. So they couldn't say, you know what, we want to do a smaller setback here in this county uh, or anything like that. So it's hardly local control. The reason why this would be so bad is because it would create what we're calling a patchwork of regulations across the state, which makes it very difficult for our uh, operators to do business here in Colorado. And at some point, when you're looking at the commodity price out there, you have to wonder how long these operators will want to stay in a state like Colorado with these rules constantly changing. So it would create a huge problem. It also would create a ton of uh, potential lawsuits should local governments take away private property. That is, that remove that ability for owners to access. So our concern here is that this would create a, a patchwork of regulations across the state, making it really difficult to do business in Colorado. You have to figure a lot of operators are going to wonder, you know, how long do we stay in a state like Colorado if we don't know uh, how the rules are going to change or if they're going to to change again. So it really sends a, a message that Colorado is not a very business-friendly state. Uh, it also creates could create a ton of lawsuits if local governments take private property, and that is remove the ability for uh, owners to access their mineral rights without compensating those property owners. That could cause a ton of lawsuits out there which would – could bankrupt really the the counties that are taking away the uh, the ability to access those those mineral rights. So that would cause huge problems and really strip away the rights of more than six hundred thousand mineral owners in Colorado. The other final uh, piece to this is if local governments were going to take on this ability of reg- regulating the oil and gas industry, there's a chance your local taxes would go up because the municipality would have to basically recreate this complex structure that's needed to to regulate an industry as large and diverse and as complicated as the oil and gas industry. And so that's that's a ballot measure or initiative 75 is the local control themed one? Correct. That's right. Okay. All right. And then then there's 78. Sure. And initiative 78 is very concerning as well. It would establish a minimum 2,500-foot setback from oil and gas facilities, uh, and not just from the the wellhead, but from the entire oil and gas facility, a 2,500-foot setback to the nearest occupied structure or to what they're calling areas of special concern. And that's where this really, I mean, it's concerning already to be from the facility to the to the nearest occupied structure, but when you add these areas of special concern that include drinking water sources, lakes, rivers, intermittent streams, creeks, irrigation canals, riparian areas, playgrounds, permanent sports fields, amphitheaters, public parks, public open space. It puts about 90% of the state off limits to to new oil and gas drilling. That statistic comes from the state of Colorado. Our regulator uh, did a little research. It couldn't even uh, factor in all of those areas of special concern because they didn't have the mapping software required to do that. But it did look at several of those areas of special concern, excuse me, and found that 90% of the state would be off limits to new development and 95% of the top five producing counties would be off limits 
to new oil and gas development. So this is a ban on the industry in Colorado. Do you think it's the ambiguity of that uh, phrase, uh, special places, or whatever the, whatever the correct phrase was, I'm sorry, uh, do you think that that's one of the bigger concerning uh, areas? Because, I mean, I think most people would think, oh, well, we don't want this near schools, we don't want this near my house, but when, right. when you throw, put in that, or, or, you know, many people would seem, think that that's a reasonable thing, but when you put in this and any special areas, that, that opens a whole lot up to, uh, to uh, I don't know, discernment. Sure. There are a lot of things about this that are very concerning. The length of the setback at 2,500 feet is, is quite large. So, But you're right, and that's one of the concerning things for us is that when people think about that, they think, well, yeah, that sounds about right, 2,500 feet. But then you start considering that it's something like 480 acres, and it's drawing a circle around the oil and gas facility for 2,500 feet, and then you see just how big – that really is. Uh, two years ago, activists were looking at doing a 2,000-foot setback from the wellhead to the nearest occupied structure, uh, which was concerning enough. This has really just added to it and made it much bigger. Because it's not, it's not as you said, it's not from the wellhead. It's from the edge of the, the development. Correct. The facility that it could include pits or you know, tanks or anything else. And yeah. again, here again, here again, you're taking away the private property rights of 600,000 mineral owners in Colorado who can then turn around and, and sue the state for billions of dollars that the state does not have. So what, what's your thinking? Where is this going to go? Do you think it's going to make it onto the ballot? So right now we are cautiously optimistic. Those are the words we're, we're trying to use. Cautiously optimistic <laughs> that it will not make the ballot. Uh, a local television uh, reporter uh, reported last week that they turned in about 105,000 signatures for each initiative. And in Colorado, for this election, you need to get 98,000 signatures of legal Colorado voters on those petitions. Uh, the error rate so far this year has been about 30%. So if they have the same error rate, they will not make it on uh, to the ballot. However, if for some reason they have a, a wonderful, you know, 95% of the, those signatures are accurate, then then they could get on. So while I said cautiously optimistic, we are not going to uh, be relieved until we're told that they're not going to be on. And I think um, if they're not on, it is a victory for the state of Colorado. Well, it seems to me, and, and I'm not in Colorado, but when I'm watching the videos, of them carrying the boxes in, and just the way their whole the whole thing was set up um, makes me think that they know they don't have it, but they right. wanted to have a dramatic presentation because they've got to have they, they've got to be able to keep their uh, volunteers buoyed up. Sure, I think this is all political theater. This is not unlike their claims, which, by the way, have been debunked by the state, but their claims that. Uh, hydraulic fracturing is going to catch your faucet on fire. So it's political theater meant to fool Coloradans by carrying these nearly empty boxes or completely empty boxes into the Secretary of State's office, trying to fool them into thinking there's this huge movement out there to ban oil and gas in the state, and there just is not a huge movement to do that. And by doing that, they're able to keep the campaign going, and as you sort of alluded to, keep fundraising uh, and using oil and gas as their you know, means of, of fundraising. So 
Um, I also think by, by carrying on like that and creating this political theater that they might also be setting themselves up so if they don't make the ballot, they can say, well, the system's rigged against us, uh, big bad oil and gas was opposed to us and, and kept us off the ballot, that sort of thing. So uh, it, just know that Colorado has one of the easiest constitutions in the country to access, yeah, or ballots, excuse me, ballots to access if you want to change the Constitution. So if there was a giant movement out there, they probably would be getting onto the ballot. And, and don't you think, too, that, some, that they want um, the legislators, whether they be the president, whether they be the governor, whether they be state representatives, county commissioners, to have the sense that there is this big swell, groundswell of support for all of these green initiatives. I mean, I had on my Twitter page today, uh, and my Twitter page is pretty active, but someone on my Twitter page wrote, said, at Energy Rabbit, which is my Twitter handle because Energizer Bunny was taken, um, I, they wrote, actually, green energy folks and green energy mantra are going to sweep election 2016. I mean, I, and I think they have kind of a, they want to have the, the appearance of a bigger presence, because if, if legislators fear them, then they're going to vote for their, their ideas. Right, absolutely, and I think they're you know they're very good at what they do, and they've been doing it for a long time. So uh, I think you're you're probably onto something there. And um, you know the, the way I look at this, uh, we just need to continue to do our end, and that is to go out and talk to people in Colorado to let them know what we're doing, why we're doing it, and why it's important to their community, to our state, and to our country. Well, that's certainly, you know, what, what we're trying to do. My column this week on the topic is getting a good amount of attention out there, and uh, I hope that you'll share it with your members and, and encourage your members to listen to this program because I think we've got a really good, balanced uh, perspective with all the different guests that are a part of today's show, and it'll be something that would be a helpful tool for, for you uh, in communicating with the public. We will do that. We appreciate that very much. Thank you. So we've been talking with Dan Henley, who is the president and CEO of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association, and uh, we've talk been talking about the Colorado anti-fracking initiatives. I appreciate you explaining those initiatives to us so uh, we understand, and I hope that uh, those empty boxes prevent them from getting onto the ballot for this election cycle. Me too. It would be a great thing, as I said, for our state uh, to not have to uh, worry about our energy costs going up. You know, I think it would be good for our economy to have some certainty and not to worry about those jobs uh, walking right out of our state. Well, you know, in closing, you talk about having certainty, but, I mean, don't you think they'll just try it again in a different way? I think there's going to be a segment of Coloradans and Americans who never want the product to leave the ground, but it's incumbent upon us to tell the rest of the folks exactly why uh, fossil fuels and natural gas and oil are helping them, making their lives better so we can move past this uh, political theater and this feeling of uncertainty. A perfect note to close on. Thank you so much, Dan Haley. Appreciate you joining us. Stay on America's Voice for Energy, and we'll be right back. 
Are your health insurance premiums going up? You are not alone. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org to understand why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. This is Grace Marie Turner, President of the Galen Institute. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our closing segment of this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. We've been having a fascinating discussion about these two ballot initiatives in Colorado and how what they represent, what they mean. But for now, on our closing segment, we're going to talk about the future. What, what happens from here. And to join us is Simon Lomax. He's been with us once before, and I'm delighted to have you back, Simon. Simon is an associate energy policy analyst with the Independence Institute and a consultant who advises pro-business groups. From 2004 to 2012, he was a news reporter covering energy and environmental policy in Washington, D.C. So, Simon, you bring great uh, knowledge to this topic, and I'm glad you're able to join us today. Thank you. No, thanks, Marita. You're very kind. Well, I ran across your piece when I was writing my piece, and once again, you and I have such uh, similar interests uh, and similar views on things, but your column on the Complete Colorado site, the original reporting and commentary. Now, is this your site? Um it's uh, it's the site where I publish my weekly column, uh, but it is uh, it's a it's uh, run by uh, it's run by uh, somebody else. Okay, all right, but your weekly column is published. Oh there. yes, I, mm-hmm. I, you know I don't guess I realize that you actually publish a weekly column. It's as I do. It's it's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. It, it sure <laughs> is, but it's a lot of fun too. Yeah, I, I uh, some of, some of them are really fun, and others every now and then I'm I find myself pulling my hair out up against a deadline. But your column, uh, written posted on August 12th, is anti-fracking ballot measures are collapsing. So what happens next? So tell us, Simon, yeah. what happens next? Where where is this going to go? And what are some of the bigger implications of this particular battle? Sure, sure. Well, you know, as you've already mentioned, the the focus on uh, the focus of environmental politics in Colorado so far this year really has been uh, those uh, those two anti-fracking ballot measures, and and now that they seem to be um, unlikely 
to, to make the ballot. There's a temptation that some people feel to uh, sort of dismiss the idea of environmental politics playing much of a role throughout the rest of uh, the election year. And uh, I'm here to tell you that um, that, that would be a big mistake because uh, these anti-fracking ballot measures really are just one part of a much bigger campaign uh, here in Colorado. And that campaign is, uh, is targeting the state's energy sector, which is vitally important to the health of the Colorado economy. Um, and, and the anti-fracking measures are just one part of, of that campaign. Um, the, the, the campaign is being, uh, is being driven by big uh, national uh, uh, activist groups, uh, far-left environmental groups like 350.org and Greenpeace, Food and Water Watch, and the Sierra Club. And they have lots of different... Um, Avenues uh, that they that they uh, that they pursue, uh, lots of different sort of related campaigns um, that uh, that are all designed to to make uh, states like Colorado and eventually the whole country as hostile towards um, oil, gas, and coal development uh, as possible. Yeah, it's amazing when you when you look at this as you and I do on a daily basis how. Um, consistently these these anti-fossil fuel issues uh, pop up uh, nationally. Mm-hmm. Well, and here in Colorado, if, if you'd like, I can kind of walk you through sort of the, the uh, you know, five big kind of uh, planks, if you like, in this campaign that uh, that's being run against sure, the yeah, energy sector. Sure, yeah, please do. So the anti-fracking act, uh, the anti-fracking ballot measure was 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 uh, was one, um, but uh, but now moving forward, you're going to see those uh, those resources and uh, and the activists who worked on those campaigns really kind of uh, being redirected into a number of different um, into a number of different areas, and that, and I should say you know they've all been sort of working on these uh, campaigns all at once, and now it's just a question of them having uh, other other things to focus on besides the anti-fracking measures. So next. We go into um, uh, getting their own people, getting 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 the right people from from their perspective elected to as many different uh, uh, positions as possible in the state and federal government. We're talking about the state legislature. We're talking about we're talking about Congress. Um, after that, there's their and, uh, and we're talking about the presidency. I assume. Oh yeah, they're very active across. They're going to be active up and down the ballot here in Colorado. Um, they uh, and I can get into the details of that in a minute. But they have they definitely have the ambition and they certainly have the resources to be very active in just about any race they choose uh, on the Colorado uh, on the Colorado ballot uh, from the presidency on down. So let, let uh, me ask you real quick yeah. from your from your uh, perspective, do you think the average person out there has any clue how much money is going into these environmental efforts? No, not really. Not really, and I, and I think that um, some of that is because a lot of the work is done, you know, through um, you know through nonprofit uh, entities that uh, essentially don't have to report. Uh, their uh, report their donors uh, or their activities or really to anybody um, and some of it I think is just sort of a um, uh, a result of the fact that uh, that the news media tends to focus more on you know what the uh, what the pro business uh, side of the street is doing what um, what the right wing billionaires are doing and they don't seem as anywhere near as interested as uh, what the left wing billionaires and the groups they fund are doing um, and when you're talking about left wing billionaires of course, here in Colorado, the the name that uh, 
that is top of the list is uh, is Tom Steyer, the hedge fund billionaire and environmental activist out of out of San Francisco, and uh, he's he's been very involved in Colorado elections for years now. But um, but everything that uh, everything that I've seen in terms of uh, uh, in terms of his uh, the political machine that he's been building and the amount of information that is publicly disclosed, it all points to 2016 being a very big year for him and his allied groups, and they certainly have enough money um, and, and, again, the, the ambition to really be playing in the presidential race, the U.S. Senate race, and uh, the battle for control over the, over the state uh, legislature. Uh, which is currently divided um, with the Republicans in, the, in, in charge in the state Senate and Democrats in charge in the state House. And there are even sort of obscure races like uh, the, the election for, uh, for the University of Colorado's Board of Regents. Uh, the environmental activists have taken a very strong interest in that race, too, because of one of these other related campaigns, um, that, that I mentioned before, and, uh, and, and, and that campaign... Yeah, sorry, I kind of got you off track there. I'm sorry? I said, I'm sorry. I kind of got you off track there. That's okay. That's fine. Um, uh, well, I was just going to say that the uh, divestment, uh, that, that campaign is fossil fuel divestment. Um, and uh, that's become a big issue not only in the CU Regents race, but um, but there's also uh, a, an active campaign right now to try to convince the University of Denver also to to walk away from its uh, investments in uh, uh, in stocks, bonds, and other securities that in any way touch uh, the fossil fuel industry. And, and are they having success in this? Do you think? Look, so far Colorado has not been a very um, a very receptive um, to the sort of uh, to the more fringe elements of the of the uh, of the environmental movement. So, uh, the University of Colorado uh, has rejected divestment, and um, and one of the reasons why uh, it's come back uh, as, as an election issue is that um, uh, the the Democrats in Colorado have a chance um, to. Uh, take over the majority of the CU Board of Regents and environmental activists are pushing that very hard because they want uh, to revisit this divestment issue at the University of Colorado um, and uh, and they've sort of broadened uh, they've broadened their campaign now to include the University of Denver which hasn't made a decision on this but uh, but is uh, is is being lobbied very uh, very aggressively by these groups as we speak. So that divestment issue is that, and the the regions issue is that. Are those two of the? You said that there were five uh, right. planks. Are, right. are those two of those? Yeah, divestment is divestment is definitely one of them, and then the, the the next one to talk about real quick is, you know, keep it in the ground. Now that's kind of yeah. an overall slogan for. Uh, all of the uh, all of the uh, the work that these groups do, but there's a very specific thing that keep it in the ground um, is targeting right now, and that is trying to end oil, gas, and coal leasing on federal lands as sort of right. a, a first step towards uh, doing away with oil, gas, and coal development everywhere, whether it be federal land, state land, or private land. So that's a very big uh, focus for the activists here in Colorado, and they've even done things like blockade uh, lease uh, auctions 
um, uh, right. in in Colorado in the in Lakewood, which is you know in the Denver suburbs, just a couple months ago, uh, they blockaded a Holiday Inn that was that was uh, that the that the Bureau of Land Management had had rented a, a space to do an auction, and they had they blockaded it so no one could get in there because um, they're determined to you know stop these leases from 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 taking place uh, any way they any way they can. And uh, then the final thing I wanted to mention quickly that's been uh, uh, hasn't received a lot of attention here in, in Colorado, but it's definitely a big focus of the, of the activists. Uh, in addition to uh, in addition to the elections and the keep it in the ground and the divestment stuff we just talked about, and that is this idea of silencing groups that disagree with the environmental left on climate change. Now, I'm sure you and your listeners know about this. Um, uh, effort by a bunch of liberal state attorneys general to yeah, uh, I, I'm a pers- I'm personally a victim of it. I lost funding because mm-hmm. a group that was going to provide me with some funding uh, is on the list, the targeted list, and I wrote a piece that questioned the science of climate change, and they said, you know, our board got scared. We only have a mi- we only have a two minutes left, so I'll shush and let you per- per- go-, go on with that. Well, sure. Well, well, real quick, you know, one of the one of the groups uh, that's been targeted, like you, is right here in Colorado, the Mountain States Legal Foundation. Um, yes, and I uh, had Perry Penley on uh, the week I wrote about that. I had Perry on my show telling us about that. But you go on, because not everybody listens to every show. Sure, sure. No, so it's one of it's one of you know scores of groups and individuals that basically uh, have been threatened with subpoena by these uh, uh, liberal uh, AGs um, led by New York's uh, Eric Schneiderman. And, and basically the idea here is that if you disagree with them on climate change and how to respond to climate change, uh, rather than just say that you're wrong, they're going to say that you're being fraudulent. And because it's fraud, the First Amendment doesn't apply to you. And so they can use law enforcement tools to, in a sense, try to regulate or police your speech about climate change. So when you look at all of these things together, um, the uh, you know the anti-fracking measures, the elections, the keep it in the ground, the divestment, and the silencing critics, it's really just one big campaign that is designed to sort of stigmatize or, or demonize the fossil fuel industry, so that the environmental left will have an easier job trying to convince elected officials to pass the kinds of laws and regulations that will uh, effectively put the fossil fuel industry out of business, um, because that's the only thing that the environmental left will accept. They don't, they don't believe in a transition. They don't believe in, um, in energy sources kind of working together in sort of an all-of-the-above way. They just want to wipe out the energy sources they don't like so that uh, they can promote the energy sources they do like. Yeah, it's baffling how they think that we're going to power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. But, but that is clearly what, what their goal is. Well, and and they want to use Colorado as a as a way to um, as a platform for that agenda. They, they they figure that anything they can get done here that is hostile to the fossil fuel industry will be adopted uh, by other states and and eventually copied at the national level. So that's one of the reasons why they spend so much of their time and certainly so much money here in Colorado. Yeah, we're out of time. We've been talking with Simon Lomax. I encourage you to check out his work on a website called The Complete Colorado. Just do a search for Simon Lomax and The Complete Colorado, and you'll be able to find his work. Simon, thanks for joining us. For our listeners, thanks for tuning in for this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy, and be sure to check back with us next week on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. 
Thank you for listening. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio.